1: from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. <laughs> That's some interdimensional idea. <laughs> Wake up, Aaron!
0: This is only the beginning.
1: There's, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted and welcome to tinfoil hat you know who i am you know what i'm here to do joining me as always is the man the myth the legend xg in a place to be how are you xg good good boss just chilling uh xg you have a show tonight that you just found out last second uh where is this show because this is gonna go immediately out yeah ontario improv with uh, uh the george press squad side eddie me and uh steven fly dude i'm really sad i've never gone through my life without a friend named side dick i feel like that's really important in your life um today we we're gonna uh guys go check out uh, our our shirts we have a whole bunch of new shirts coming out go to tinfoil hat shirtscom go check out the patreon it's been cooking with gas go to patreon.com tinfoil hats uh, what else we got we got the reddit go to see you can find tinfoil hat on reddit you can find the uh, the tinfoil hat Facebook page Instagram you name it they're all there uh, the the troops are amassing the group is getting bigger P- more people are coming to check it out and all the chicks are smoke show so come and check it out I don't know what we did but the the, the, the hot ladies love the conspiracies. I don't know what it is either, but they're all about it, man. I won't complain.
0: <laughs> I will never complain. That's the complain. last thing I complain about.
1: So uh, this will be everyone's favorite episode because that's literally all the um, promos I had to do. That has got to be a world record on the show. They are going to uh, be excited to uh, hear this episode. So let's get right into it. This this man uh, has is a well-known author. Uh, he breaks down the whole CIA from beginning to end. Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Douglas Valentine, everybody.
0: How are you, Douglas? I'm not too bad. Um, I noticed... The guy sitting next to you has a Yankee hat on. I was wondering about that. You know, Wait, I don't
1: know. Uh, I just saw this. I did not know he's a Yankee fan. This will be his last show. So, uh, if <laughs> I, you guess, know any... I guess
0: that's that's the equivalent of a tin foil hat. Yeah, right? there we go.
1: <laughs> there we go. I know he's uh, shady. He's just a hater. I, I assume everybody that I hang out with is some form of CIA or or a lizard person. Are there? <laughs> Doug, are there Mexican lizard people? Do we know this? Do they exist?
0: Do lizard people? Are you asking me? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would like to know, but we'll get into that a little yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the greater New York metropolitan area, you Thank know. You. and
1: That's where they all spawn, are.
0: Spawn Donald Trump, you know. Oh, I, dude,
1: I, I'm going to get into uh, the whole Julian Assange thing at, at towards the end. I'd like to get your opinion on it. Uh, Doug, can I talk, call you Doug, or is do you prefer Douglas, I feel like? Doug is fun. Okay. Uh, Douglas, do you uh, tell us about um, your book real quick?
0: Well, it's the culmination of a couple of books. Um, It's called The CIA, it's Organized Crime, and uh, it's a culmination of uh, um, my writing career, which started with a book about my father who was a prisoner of war in World War II. And uh, after that, I wanted to write about the Vietnam War, so I wrote a book called The Phoenix Program, which uh, was about a, a CIA operation in Vietnam. And, and uh, a guy named William Colby was the one that helped me do that. Uh, Colby had been a director of the Central Intelligence Agency from, uh, I guess it was 73 to 75. But in Vietnam, he'd been sort of the overseer of the, the Phoenix Program. and. Uh, I sent him a copy of the book I I wrote about my father, and he liked it, and so he introduced me. Colby introduced me to a lot of CIA officers who'd been in the Phoenix program. And this was kind of like giving me the the keys to the CIA. Because he'd been a director of the CIA, all these guys that he referred me me to pretty much um, felt that they could... uh, um, Forget about their oaths, their secrecy oaths. So they told me every all the secrets of the CIA. And it took me four years to write that book. And when it was done, they all hated me. Oh, my they God. Thought was, they thought I was like some, you know, junior G-man or something because, you know, Colby had referred me to him But uh, I ended up doing a critical book. And so I got, a, um, got on their bad side. But uh, after that, I wrote two more books. Um, both about the CIA's involvement in uh, uh, international drug trafficking. Oh, the yeah. first one was called The Strength of the Wolf, and it covered the period um, actually from before the CIA was created, but uh, um, up until 1968. And then the second book is called The Strength of the Pack, and it was about from 1968 up until pretty much the present time, and it documents documents all the important facts of the CIA's involvement in drug tra- trafficking, which goes back to its origins in um, uh, uh, World War II in an organization called the uh, Office of Strategic Services, which is really the place that you gotta begin, because in order to understand the CIA, you have to understand its historical arc. You have to be able to see where it began, why it why it began, uh, what its you know what its purposes were in the beginning, and then track it up until you know as thoroughly and as much as far as you can, and once you do that, you get an idea of where where it's at today. Okay, so I brought together in this book the CIA's organized crime. All the information that I had gathered before in those in those previous books, plus some new information, and and put it all together and I was wondering what to call it and and, and uh, the publisher said uh, something like man this is all about organized crime yeah you know, the CIA is just like it's the organized crime branch of the United States which is why it's it's secret because if you knew what it was doing it, you know all the people that are doing these things would be would be uh, convicted of a uh, breaking a lot of crimes and uh, um, breaking a lot of laws and committing a lot of crimes. So, so came up with this title of the CIA's organized crime. And it really, it's really a fitting term. And if you want me to explain, you know, uh, some of the, the details of this thing, I can try to uh, weave together some, some threads and, and I'm always interested in that for, for
1: sure, um, for sure. You know, where do you want to start? You want to start just in the origins of it. Where where does the CIA start? You mentioned it a little the OSS, but why don't we start there and we'll just go as. Till we can get to the end or feel like we've, uh, we've nailed it. I'm really open-minded wherever you want to go. I find this just fascinating that you discuss all this because I'm always like, I do this. My girlfriend's like, when's a guy in a dark suit going to show up to our house? And I'm like, I'm like the thousandth millionth dude on the line. You seem to be a little bit closer, a little higher up on the ranks. Are you at all hey, well, worried? See,
0: I, you know they kept a file on me. I, I Congratulations
1: on that, by the way. That's got to be cool to know you got a file there. But yeah,
0: you know they, they were very interested in me, and 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 they and in one of the, one of the documents they said, you know, they called me Bad News Valentine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you have a name, dude. How cool is that, man? When you meet women, <laughs> do you go, hey, they call me Bad News?
0: But anyway, it was it, actually very serious stuff, and it, of course. It, it was a very serious organization in the beginning. In this Office of Strategic Services, which was created by President Franklin Roosevelt in World War II, to do things. You know, I mean, and we all know that World War II is very serious business. Um, the United States was fighting the uh, the Germans and and uh, the italians in europe and and it was fighting the japanese and in asia every guy who was draftable was going off to war and joining the army and and it was like just uh the the military had the invasion of normandy and the invasion of italy uh, just huge battles and uh, macarthur out in the in the in the, in, in the far east was um, island hopping you know through the through the pacific trying to get to fight the Japanese just horrible horrendous sorts of battles and so it's a very serious thing and and uh, France was occupied and the United States government needed intelligence in the areas of the world that were occupied by the Japanese and by the Germans which the United States military couldn't get into so it created this this Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. And this guy who was who I went to, Colby, the CIA director, had actually been in the OSS. And he had parachuted me into France and worked with the French resistance. I mean, they, they did heroic things. And one of the guys that he introduced me to, a guy named Evan Parker, had also been in the OSS. And he was in Burma, uh, where the, they organized um, what were called uh, this Kachin tribe up in Burma to fight the Japanese in Burma. And one of the things that the OSS did in Burma, these Kachin guerrillas wouldn't fight the the Japanese unless the OSS provided them with opium. And this is not the sort of thing... Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. This is one of the reasons why the OSS is created, because... You know, technically, the United States military is not allowed to do things. But if you have a secret organization like the OSS, then it can do these sorts of things that are what nowadays people refer to as extra legal. And what are the other things that, the o- but when the OSS was... Assembled- I think it's called
1: Black Ops now, right? They call a lot of it Black Ops.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, that's sort of the... um. The mil yeah the military and, and and the CIA when they when they do something that's um, absolutely nobody's ever supposed to know about they call it a black op because yeah. everybody knows <laughs> but they're doing black ops all over the world yeah. you're just not supposed to know about the specific ones you can know? I ask
1: something real quick Douglas sure. real quick is there you know I was always told that the CIA uh, or that what we know of it now. Was also a continuation of uh, a Nazis and how they had had their own intelligence uh, uh, groups and that we obviously when the not when world war ii and the the international banks pulled their funding from the germans and that whole thing collapsed we kind of had an expansion draft where we got to pick <laughs> the best uh who wants the best nazis and uh we took the ones and they helped kind of form what we kind of know as the uh the cia now is that oh, yeah. is that's
0: that- that's absolutely true because when the war was over the united states occupied germany and 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 uh, West Germany and and the Russians, the Soviet Union occupied East Germany, and in the countries that the United States occupied uh, and was supporting with you know a lot of financial aid, a lot of these countries had been devastated by the war. The the aid that they gained came with strings attached, and one of the strings that does. Was attached was that the CIA would organize the police forces in these countries. Ah. And and they would get all the intelligence that these police forces were um, acquiring on ah. political figures. And and um, also they would organize the intelligence services of these countries. And that's what they did in Germany. And in, in putting together the police and intelligence forces in Germany and a lot of other countries after World War II, they hired all the fascists. Yeah, Because in the days after World War II, we weren't fighting the, the fascists anymore. Now we were hiring the fascists to, to help fight the communists. And it was the communists who, you know, basically, especially in Europe and in China, had defeated the fascists. So now, so people, and, and this is one of the things that the OSS did, is it worked with the communists in World War II. And then when the when the war was over, it just like suddenly turned on them. and just now flipped the, the square was against the communists. And, and uh, so they had all this intelligence on who the, who the communists were and what their background was. Now, again, the military can't isn't fighting political wars. It You know, when the war was over, the, the military basically went away. So now you need you needed a secret organization that could organize police and intelligence forces in Europe and around the world uh, in order to uh, fight against the Soviet Union. So that, that became this, the, the job of the CIA. And in doing this, they not, over, not only hired the fascists, you know, uh, they also hired the people that they had worked with in World War II who were part of organized crime. I mean, actually, the mafia. I'm sure you've heard of this, but in World War II, there was something called the Luciano Project. No. In which the the OSS actually hired mafiosos to help them in the invasion of Europe, in in Italy especially. And and when they were invading Italy, all all sorts of mafia guys went along with the invasion fleet and, and um, started organizing political forces and, and uh, the, the, the Christian Democrats and stuff like that in Italy so that when, when the war was over, they would have people, and, and they were fighting the communists who, who would serve the, the United States. And um, um, those connections, which were the OSS formed with organized crime, the mafia in World War II, exist to this day. And they never gave up, they never gave them up. And just to give you an example, you know, when the CIA wanted to assassinate Fidel Castro, who did they call him? They called on Santo Traficante, who was the biggest drug dealer. He was an dr- amazing drug dealer out of out of uh, Tampa, Florida. And his father had organized the drug business in Cuba in the 1930s and 40s, and and that was Santo Sr., and Santo Jr. took over the business in the late 1940s. Mm -hmm. And in 1961, when the CIA wanted to assassinate Cuba, they hired Santo Tropicante to do the job. Now this guy Santo Tropicante was bringing tons of drugs through Cuba into Florida through the 1940s and 1950s mafioso bosses from New York and Los Angeles and uh, Kansas City, all across the country would come down to, to, to Tampa and they would actually have an auction. This guy, Tropicani, would sell the drugs to the highest bidders, you know, and they would, they would carve up pieces of it and take it back to their cities. Oh my God. Because this guy, guy Traficanti, helped the CIA in the assassination plot of Fidel Castro, he was never convicted of drug trafficking charges. In his entire life, he always worked for the CIA, and, and it's the same thing. And this is what happened, like with Noriega in Panama. I mean, these when the CIA wants to get intelligence on, you know, uh, whoever American enemies and foreign nations, they try to, they, they often do it through drug traffickers. And so, so all these. This is why this is why I refer to the CIA as the organized crime branch. I mean, if you look at. Uh with
1: mexico right now we had el chapo who they found out uh had donated 15 million dollars to the clinton foundation and when you really take a look at it el chapo was just a district manager at that point you know he's running you know the cia's business in this city and then there's another district manager in another city and we just you don't get in to uh the united states and there's a new leader now yeah. yeah. I mean, the old guy's gone. So they get in, You know yeah. what they have outside of that Mexican mafia uh, place under new management? They have a banner <laughs> says under new management <laughs> and uh, they got a new thing going on. And it's just the way it's go- uh, that's just the history of this stuff. And that's it's it's crazy, man.
0: Well, sure. And, and the drug traffic is inextricably connected to the arms traffic. And most of the arms that go into Mexico come from the United States. You know, people talk about, well, there's tons of of drugs pouring into the United States from Mexico. But the other side of the coin is that there's tons of arms being smuggled into Mexico from the United States, which which destabilizes the country. And and when they tracked the weapons, there was, you know, a big... um, um, Fast and Furious, yeah, Obama. In the, in, in the Obama administration of how all these guns were being funneled to the drug traffickers, you know, and, it's, and, and if you don't think that that's what enables the drug traffickers to, to create their little drug trafficking industries, you know, I mean, well, I got another thing coming, but that's how they destabilize Mexico, and, they, and they're able to uh, keep the pot boiling so that the citizens of Mexico can never gain any kind of political traction to actually exercise their will. You know, they, they corrupt politicians you know, all over the world. You get them to do the, the CIA's bidding. And this is exactly what happened in Vietnam during uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, one of the guys that Colby introduced me to was a guy named Tom Donahue who, cre- who ran what were called the covert action programs. In South Vietnam from 1964 to 1966, and in his in his position as this you know senior CIA guy who was running all their covert action programs, he was he worked with a guy who was the, the the South Vietnamese Minister of Interior, and they had a new Minister of Interior every four or five months. And he said the first thing the guy would say to me is, so. How much, how much drugs are you going to deliver to me <laughs> you know, every month from Laos? You know, I mean, they weren't doing this. They weren't fighting for the Americans in South Vietnam because they were. They loved America. They did it because the CIA was providing them with drugs. And they actually, the CIA actually ran um, the drug industry in Laos and the Golden Triangle all throughout the world where they organized an army, a secret army called the secret army. Of, of, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was just like these cochin gorillas in Burma. Uh, the, the general was Vang Pao, and they they created an airline for him, especially so he could fly drugs out of the Golden Triangle where, you know, where the drugs were being processed into heroin, and fly it to, to people like Santo Traficante, who shows up in, in Vietnam in 1968. And gets a connection to Van Pao and the South Vietnamese generals. And this is all the CIA setting these things up, protecting them, uh, you know, absolutely protecting them from uh, journalists writing about it. You know, I mean, any journalist who who wandered into Laos at that time, you know, was lucky to escape with his life. You know, I mean, you're not allowed, it's secret stuff, you know. I actually interviewed, I went to Thailand and interviewed some of the CIA guys who were involved in that. And it's amazing. to to hear the stories they tell about this stuff that was going on.
1: When you are uh, through some of the notes you sent me, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about Evan Parker and yeah. his whole, uh, and that whole part of this story. What would, what, yeah. who is Evan Parker and what's his role in this whole thing?
0: Okay. Um, one of the first person that william colby referred me to was this fellow evan parker who had been the first director of the phoenix program in south vietnam that starts in in june of 1967 evan parker as i mentioned had been in the oss as well and him and colby had been buddies in the oss the oss was basically formed by out of establishment figures. Colby went to Princeton. He was a Princeton graduate. This guy, Evan Parker, went to... Um, Ivy four, League
1: schools, man.
0: Yeah, another uh, Ivy League school. The guy who actually created the uh, Phoenix program, Evan, uh, Nelson Brickham, who I interviewed at, like over a period of days, graduated magna cum laude from, from Yale. And uh, the guy I just mentioned before, uh, uh, Donahue, went to Columbia all Ivy League colleges. So, so Evan Parker is part of this, you know, establishment elite crowd where these guys go to fox trot dances. Yeah, you know, we fall. know that
1: most. Um, if you guys yeah. listen to the podcast, we know that the Ivy League schools are basically funded, founded by op families who uh, basically ran the opium trade, the uh, skull and crossbones created by uh, the Russell family. I mean, when you start learning this stuff, it is mind-blowing when you start to actually go, hold on, dude. The opium basically helped create the power structure of the United States. There's been a drug war since this country started. Let me
0: tell you what it's like to meet one of these guys and actually be in their presence. It's interesting, and it's educational, you know. And I've met probably, probably interviewed 150 CIA officers in my Really. Most, yeah, most people never, ever meet one. You Knowingly. hung out with these guys <laughs> for 20 years, and, and um, uh, they're from across the board. Anyway, uh, Colby sends me to Parker, and he's living down in... Um, uh, Maryland and I think it was uh, Rockville or something like that and I go down to his house and it's this nice little suburban neighborhood like a little colonial white colonial house and and um, he had just had a stroke he was probably 65 at the time and um, he invites me to his house he was his wife had passed away and I don't know if his son was still living there but he invited me up to a little den that in on the second floor and uh, we sat there, and we talked about Welch poetry for like an hour, and uh, he had this little um, coffee table in the den, and there were a bunch of documents on it, and he got to like me. You know, I never asked him any questions. We were just, you know, being like establishment people, you know, chatting it up, and, and he said, I'm going to go down and get us some some uh, tea and some cookies, and I'll be gone for about 15 minutes. Wow, that's that's interesting. <laughs> so I open, he walks out of the room and he winks, and I open the first document, and it was a roster of everybody who had been in the Phoenix program when it started, about 40 names. Of Real, oh, my God. Yeah, their, their military rank, whether they were CIA. And, and, and so I furiously write down all these names. <laughs> And I hear from downstairs, he calls up and goes, Doug, <laughs> the cheese is ready and I'm coming up. You know. And so I put my notes away and, and um, closed this little uh, folder that he had on his table. And we just talked for the rest of the day about other things. Never once talked about Phoenix, but he did agree to see me a second time. And this is the telling incident that I want to tell you about. Uh, he invited me to the, uh, Fort Myers officers club to meet another guy who had been in the Phoenix program. And so we drove over there from his house together. And it was this really, really bitter cold day in February. And there was snow and ice all over the place. And we parked in a parking lot that was above the officers club. And we had to walk down wooden stairs, um, that had a little cutback about halfway down and went to the officer's club. And uh, he had had a stroke and he's like 6'3", and he's a big, ruddy guy and had this nice wool overcoat on and I was dressed very nicely too. We're going to the officer's club, so it's almost like you gotta wear a tuxedo. Right. And um, uh, we get down to this landing and I'm, I'm holding his arm you know, because he's kind of a feeble old guy in a way, and he's standing there and he said, you know, by this point, I really trusted him. And he said, you know, when I was in the OSS, they told us someday you're gonna parachute into France and you're gonna be in a farmhouse in the countryside with members of the resistance. And you're gonna be planning how to blow up a German train carrying ammunition. And as you're discussing your plans, You notice that in another room, there's an eight-year-old boy listening to what you're talking about. And Parker is just, like I said, it's this wintry mix of sleet and snow in the air, and his face is just red. And he looks off into the, the sky, and he's, you know, with this look on his, like just totally forlorn look on his face, and he says, well, you know what you gotta do. And I thought to myself, I know what I gotta do. I gotta push you you down the rest of the steps. <laughs> but instead, you know, I, I gave them this knowing look, like, yeah, I understand the horrors, the horrible things that you guys have to deal with, how your conscience is what you you know, the load that you have to carry around, the burden that you have to carry around, you know, and we each looked at each other knowingly and went down to dinner. But that's that's the how dirty this thing gets. Yeah, okay? I, did, I, you, I did you trusted me? Did you confess to to this is what you have to do? And this that's just you know. I mean, you can talk about drug smuggling and drug trafficking, and it it seems kind of unreal. But these things have consequences. You know, the drugs go to to a freeway. Freeway Ricky out in L.A. Yeah, you know? yep. And, We've and had Freeway
1: Wii, Ricky on the show.
0: The kids on the street. Yeah, you know. And again, it's just you know, I mean, the, the people who are suffering from the CIA crimes <clears throat> are not necessarily the bad guys. That, they're Which, not at all. It's, it's people who just want to live their lives in the countries where America has no business being. And and there's a lot of innocent people that get caught up on this. Excuse me, I got a call.
1: <coughs> it's fine man yeah i'm with you did you have you found that uh as you meet these guys that are somewhat aging uh that their past is starting to uh just really mess with their psyche uh and that they're kind of regretting the things that they've done and at the end of the day that maybe being honest with you somewhat uh, is helping them to, uh, you know, deal with the pain and maybe absolve them of their sins. That if they're honest with people about what really happened, that maybe if they pass on, that they won't be seen as these horrible people or a lot of pressure will be taken off of their uh, their consciousness if they if they own up to what they did.
0: Well, I would say that it's, based on my experience, it's probably a mix of 50 50 um it would be the same if you went into the seal team six you know the navy seals you would find that half of the half of the guys have a conscience and they're the ones that that are there because the other half have no conscience at all i mean they're just stone killers if these guys weren't navy seals they be robbing banks and dealing drugs and and just slaughtering people on the street. They have, they're sociopaths. They're psychopaths. So you need a mix. You need some people that they give these guys direction and stop them from doing uh, you know the stuff that they would do if there was nothing. They just go yeah. They, they just go on a rampage. Like, like, like let me tell you about this guy that I met in Thailand.
1: <laughs> I could listen to you talk all day.
0: <laughs> yeah no. So this, there was this famous guy <laughs> named tony poe tony poe okay anthony pashepney his father had been an admiral in the navy tony poe had uh, uh, been in the military in world war ii he was one of, he was a commando that a submarine dropped him off in the philippines you know and he swam the shore with a, a knife in his mouth and a grenade in each hand you know that kind of stuff oh, and, shit and
1: what after the like movie
0: after the, after the war he, they put him into the cia and he's one of these psychopath guys that i'm telling you about okay the, they made the movie apocalypse now with marlon brando based on tony pub oh he's he marlon went, brando's he, ca- character yes he he was stationed in laos during the secret war and um he had actually been an advisor to this guy general Vang Pao, who was in the drug business and um uh then they sent him out further out to the west of Laos where he uh, uh, ran a base called the 118A base, which is where the opium caravans that the CIA had helped set up after World War II. They, they had taken a bunch of Chinese generals who, had, who were anti-communist and they settled, that's the Kuomintang, settled in Burma, and they let them drill, deal opium um, out of the area in order to spy on China. Anyway, so they would drop off the Kuomintang and the opium caravan would drop off its opium at Tony Poe's base. And CIA pilots from Taiwan would fly in on C- with C-47s and they would pick up the opium and, and the heroin that was refined there at this base and they would fly it back out to the to the Gulf of Siam and they would drop it to sam pams that would pick it up and deliver it to santo trafficante you know oh my god in order to support their operations because they needed money and the way they were able to conduct their operations anyway tony poe was marlon i mean really like marlon brando was in apocalypse now this was a really crazy guy he he was fighting the Pathet Lao, the, the the communists in in Laos, and, and and when he would locate one of their bases, he would fly over it in a CIA helicopter, one of those black helicopters you hear about, and he would drop the heads of Pathet Lao who he would kill into their base. Oh my you know, God! And, and, and when, When the CIA people in VNTN, which is where the headquarters were, which was like a world away, it was actually something like civilization, questioned him about his statistics for how many people he killed, Mm -hmm. he loaded up a duffel bag full of ears and sent it to him as proof. No written report or anything like that. So anyway, I went and visited this guy. Oh, my God. (laughs) You hung out with him? I wanted to talk to him, you know.
1: Oh, my God. It was literally raining men on that base. It was literally (laughs) raining men. And these heads would just fall on. Do you think that, before you get into the story, that do you think that, you know, they always have these psychological exams. And I'm always like. Do you really fail it if you're a psycho or do you pass it if you're a psycho and then they don't pass you if you're a nice guy? They make you into a psycho.
0: What? You know, I mean, the CIA has become very scientific. It has a... I'm going to take your question seriously because it it is a serious question and it deserves a serious answer. Thank you. They have a science and technology branch. Basic, there was always four branches. There was science and technology. There was administration. There was intelligence, which is the analysts. And then there's operations. That's my guys. You know? and, and then nowadays, in, in the last five years, there's digital innovations, which, of course, is the way. You know, I mean, if you want to turn the lights out in, in Caracas, Venezuela, you just punch a button now. You know, The CIA can just push a button then all the lights go out in Caracas. Uh, oh you know, and having to blow up radio stations and stuff like that. But anyway, the science and technology branches is not like trying to develop things to help mankind. You know, yeah. They're developing psychological assessment tests so that they can hire the right people. They hire psychologists. They hire psychiatrists, anthropologists, sociologists, who put all their... And these are guys from... Ivy League college. Yeah, Ivy all League. All intelligence together to figure out how to get the right people for the right job, and not only that, but how to control them. How do you control a guy like like Tony Poe? Well, this is this is what the science and technology branch of the CIA is figuring out because they're not only hiring Americans like Tony Poe, they go into Laos and they're hiring people like Tony Poe, Or they go into Brazil and they're hiring people like. How do you identify? when you're recruiting agents, how, when you're recruiting policemen in foreign countries, the kind of guy that you want working for you, How do you you know, determine that you want to hire Noriega? Well, this isn't done by, by instinct. Since the OS, days of the OSS, they have been as, assembling information, how to actually control people psychologically. And this is the thrust, the entire real thrust of the CIA it's psychological warfare. Not only how do, you, how do you control individuals who you want to employ, either as agents or as employees, but how do you control political and social movements in foreign countries? How do you, how do you control their, the press in those countries? How do you create through proprietary countries, companies, uh, newspapers? That are going to put the kind of propaganda that you want out there, so to influence people. How do you troll their internet, just like you know we're accusing the Russians of doing here? Well, you know, guess what? What do you think the CIA does all over the world every day in a million different ways? And another thing that the Science and Technology Branch does is it creates all sorts of bizarre weapons. The OSS did this in World War II. It created a, tr- a, a truth drug. But because they wanted to be able to interrogate people, Nazis or or mafiosa that they were hired. And and the and, and the drug they ended up with was, oh, was an old THC. What? And they tested it on people. They tested it on mafiosa. They tested it on conscientious objectors. And and after World War Two, they turned to LSD. Yep. And they create they had a whole program called MK Ultra. Yeah. So think about the CIA's involvement in drugs. We're not just talking about um, recreational drugs like <laughs> uh, cocaine or opium or heroin. Yeah. Oh, we're talking about acid. You know, and 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 what the CIA used when when they gave Tragacanthi drugs to bring to 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 Cuba. Part of the batch was acid. I mean, they were trying to put acid in, in Castro's, um, you know, coffee and stuff like that. So then he <laughs> would look crazy. So they're doing that's what that's what this and this again. So you understand the historical arc. This is what they've done for the beginning, and and it goes from the simple days of World War II where they're they're just getting high on THC to LSD. In the 1950s and 60s, and if you follow the historical arc, you have to ask yourself, well, what the hell have they developed now? Yeah, drugs can they use today that aren't so (laughs) visible in order to make people like just go psychotic or break down or, or you know, I mean, science is really advanced. And you got to remember that this is an organization that's been in existence now for over 70 years. So not only, but in the beginning, it, these guys were neophytes themselves. And it was a relatively small organization. Yeah. Now it's been in existence for 70 years. The proprietary companies that it set up in 1940s and 50s and 60s have grown. For example, they set up a, 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 an airline called Eglé Azur, Blue Eagle, and, and it, it, when they set it up in, right after World War II, it consisted of four planes and, and it was owned by a Nazi who had been, you know, uh, a guy who had worked for the Vichy French. And he didn't know what, what to do after the war. And so they, they gave this guy some money and they set him up in this little airline, Eglé Azure, And it is now a major airline is they it sprit- spirit the air- cuz they suck <laughs> it, yeah it was a major airline in laos it was one of the airlines that they were able to use to transport opium well just use that as an example they set up after after the war in the 50s newspapers that are now like rupert murdoch big. they yeah. set up they set up uh, all sorts of companies shipping companies that are, that can ship drug, guns anywhere. They set up arms manufacturing companies. These are proprietary companies that are set up by a CIA guy, and he hires 100 you know employees, and none of these employees know that they're working for the CIA. But when a, a CIA needs to do something, well, this whole company, the, the owner and his uh, heirs can galvanize this entire company to do the bidding of the CIA. So if you think about how vast the CIA industry is now after 70 years, after all these proprietary companies have grown, all the agents that they have had working for them for 70 years, all the agent networks that they have set up around the world that have grown and expanded, all the, all the retired employees who go to work for the Senate Armed Services Committee or the Department of Justice, or any, I mean, you start to get a sense of how when you talk about lizard people being everywhere, you got no an <laughs> idea what <laughs> I mean. this thing it's a parallel universe. And it's not little green men. It's people like Evan Parker and Tony Pope. Yeah. Who, if they lived next door to you, you would say about Evan Parker, he's good people. Yeah. You know, a, he, when I interviewed him, he was interviewing a, a woman to be the first deacon in the Presbyterian church in his neighborhood. You know, I mean, this, these are, some of these guys would run into a burning house and save the the, the uh, cats and the dogs and the little kids. Yeah. And, you know, good people. And yet yeah. they're part of this vast universe, like, you know, the walking dead, and they're there to control the ones who all you have to do is point them in a direction and they'll wipe out everything in their path. Yeah, it's almost... So I'm giving you some idea of, of, of what this thing is all about and how vast it is. For sure. intricately woven it is and how vastly superior and sophisticated it is to anything that you can think. Well, if Here's you... All about, technology or academia or sociology or anthropology or computers. It is the cutting edge of everything. It is 10 years ahead of everybody else.
1: If you look at uh, Facebook, you look at, I mean, we can go through uh, cultural icons, connections to CIA's Facebook, Google. uh, There's also discussions that the CIA is behind Pornhub, Okay? Think about the amount of traffic. That. Please that tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone's about to erase their account. Right, oh, Doug? Um, but Pornhub.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, like, look how big that is. And, like, if you think about what, what you, I mean, like, dude, everybody knows that my, my history. If you go on Pornhub, it's always like, hey, I'm watching this video. Here's all these other video. And then it just starts sliding you down into more and more Creepy. crazy. Stuff, and you're like, How
0: did I end up here? And it's just like, (laughs) Not only that, that, they don't, you don't even have to visit a porn site, they can create an identity for you on a computer that is like a parallel history for you. You don't even have to do these things if they want to blackmail you, if they want to frame you, if they don't like you. You don't have to do anything wrong. They can create an identity and a, and a history for you on Google. They, they, they're setting up these kinds of- Clones. Fully backstopped identities, and they can attach them to anybody, anytime. And they could, and they could send it around the world. And before you have a chance to respond, yeah. they can say, well, you know, Sam, you know, let me tell you something about Sam. And the next thing you know, the whole Internet is full of a fake life that you never lived and you can never deny it because it's all documented, proven that they've set it up. And they have thousands of these probably identities that they can attach to anybody, anytime. So all you have to do is think the wrong thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's 100% true. And uh, they can frame you. The the big thing they like to do, which is very interesting, is uh, put kitty porn on your computer. They could do that. They you can- bet,
0: you bet. And, uh, you know, it's, it happens. And not only that, like this guy Epstein. <laughs> yeah. They're behind these child porn. Oh, for sure. Businesses, you know, because they can then get a guy like Epstein – um, billionaires, and now they got them. They they have them for the rest of their lives to do whatever whatever bidding they want them to do, and they keep them on a string, just the way the cops can keep somebody, some poor slob, down in the streets of Memphis, on a, a you know, they have a hammer over them all their lives because they they did something wrong once, or they can they can frame them on something, and and if you haven't got. Billions of dollars for an attorney. You just got to do what the man says. You
1: got to play ball.
0: You got to
1: play ball.
0: CIA is the man over all these these billionaires. And one of the most interesting things in the last minute or two that we have, you know, is that back in the 90s, you know, the, the rumor going around is that, that Trump got himself out of, out of debt by laundering drug money through his casinos. And his hotels, and that the CIA was very interested in in who the drug smugglers were, and so they let it all happen, which is why things like that would never be revealed because of the CIA's behind it. Oh yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing that a Muller or a, a Attorney General Barr or anybody can do about it. It it never gets into the report. You never in your entire life. We'll ever hear about the cia in a law enforcement proceeding yeah (laughs) the whole justice system in this country exists to protect the cia and its organized criminal actions which are integral to the corporate existence of this country and its dominance over all the other countries and corporations in the world
1: can I ask you a question? Is the is this an extension of the U.S. government, or is this actually IMF? Uh, is it is it more of an uh, the law enforcement branch of the IMF, the the, the uh, murder squad, uh, the death squad of the IMF? US
0: governments come and go. President, there's a, you know, different president every four or eight years. The CIA empire is permanent yeah yep okay you know there's a there's a four year political cycle if you're in congress it's a two year political cycle if you're a good boy or a good girl you get to stick around if you play ball if you play ball you know Uh, and then you get to you get to run your little fiefdom just like those generals in vietnam did. yep
1: man man sells out their fellow man
0: the the kickbacks from the from from uh, you know, whatever corporation wants to do business, you get lobbyist money. Uh, you know, it's the whole thing. It's it's a it's part and parcel of the the embedded corruption in this country, which which enables you know one percent to own what 90 percent of the wealth, and the rest of us is just slap around.
1: Yeah, it's very and interesting. it's the
0: CIA that keeps that that whole uh, inequity uh stable and continuous.
1: And do you do you think people I got two more questions and then, then I know you got a jam. Um, one, do you uh, how, do you think people join the CIA thinking that they're going to do this that, you know, they're going to be protecting Americans and they're going to be doing all this. And then through psychological uh, assessments, uh, initiation processes, they start weeding out who will help them at the higher levels of this stuff. And then they start to realize that it's not really, let's say, about America, but more about protecting the interests of these very high ups, the 1%, the international bankers, or whatever that is. Do you th- what do you think of the process
0: well, again, it's a mix, you know, and and there's a there's a, a a selection process that goes on. It's a hard thing to grasp, and people are. It's it's interesting because if I had said these things 20 years ago, people would have been less receptive. And if I had said it 40 years ago, well, in the Vietnam War, we all during the Vietnam War, a lot of us knew. You know, there was actually more of a consciousness then. Yeah. But, it depends it, and it depends on on uh, how indoctrinated you are or what could be what your personality is it depends on how how much you can absorb you know so there's all there's a whole range of people but certainly the people who are, are in executive management they understand you know if, you may not understand if you're over in the berlin station somewhere or you know, schlepping around in, in uh, Uruguay, you know, you may think you're just doing your patriotic duty. You know, the guys that go and fight in Iraq and and uh, Afghanistan, you know, and, and uh, you know, a lot of them think they're just serving their country. They do not think, like Medley Butler said, I'm a thug for the corporations. You yeah. Know I mean, you have to get to the point where you're general, where you start really understanding the big picture so you know there's a whole, again there's no you know there's, there's no one type it, it's as varied as as you know I mean if you went to a, a, a baseball game all the people in the state you know I mean you'll just find a, a, a tremendous mix but the people in control the executive management the top, you know like the top one percent of them 1% yeah 1% of the state, they don't they you know they're absolutely aware and and they actually have procedures manuals that they have to follow you know over the 70 years you know this stuff has been codified fine tuned
1: fine tuned
0: procedure manuals to follow so 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 that that nobody knows so at the highest levels of
1: entertainment as well there there is a big cia um Influence obviously you know i've uh you know i've been talking to my friend and they were breaking down like the different type of m k ultra and one of it is uh uh beta sex kittens they said, and that's that's where you see these young girls do docu- very early, whether it's like the Mickey Mouse Club and stuff like that where you see these girls are groomed very early. And they become iconic. And then when they seem to want to pull out, that's when either something bad happens to them. Or as we're finding out right now that Britney Spears has been in a forced into a mental facility for the last four months. No one's heard from her. Well, she's been trying to get off this medication, stuff like that. Um, what happened to Kanye? They just all of a sudden go crazy and they disappear. Yeah. It's like they, you know, people always talk about who gets off and all that stuff. I think if they blow you up and then you try to get off the leash, that's when something goes bad. What are your thoughts on that whole thing? Because we find like the the uh, Grateful Dead, all that stuff, um, tend to have some CIA connections to them.
0: Well, I think that, the, the, again, it's in a sort of, thing of it as the establishment. At the highest levels of the journalistic trade. The, the people who run the New York Times, the people who run the Washington Post, the biggest producers in Hollywood, uh, the biggest, the, the, the people who run the oil companies, these people are the CIA. Just like these are the people who formed the OSS. These are the people who form the CIA nowadays. They, they, the CIA has professional journalists that work for it. And they're the best and the brightest they're the the sons and daughters of the of the people who own these mag- uh newspapers and who are their top editors so the once you get it to the very top of every branch of America every you know across the board the top anthropologists the top sociologists uh, in, in education the people who run our universities the the people who run the automobile industry the people who run the, the unions the the, the people the, once you get to the top of all these, any of these different things, well, that's the OSS, That's the CIA. These are the people who run America. Uh, they're indistinguishable from each other. And, and that's very important to remember, because you're not going to get to the top of one of these organizations unless you assimilate. <laughs>
1: Those trust kids, trust my kids. That's the story of my life, dude. It's all trust one kids. He he just said it. Yeah. The
0: 100.
1: (laughs) I'll know, man. It's not my thing. My dad raised a real knucklehead. Where you know my dad's from Pine Avenue, in New York. Was they don't play ball, Uh So <laughs> we like to do. I'm very much a Ronin. I go by my own thing, and uh, that's not really my thing. But we've seen that whether it's CIA, the uh, who is the number one, uh, fem- the 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 iconic feminist? What Gloria? Whatever. Steinem, is Steinem. that her name? Yeah. Find out later, she's CIA. Something that came out, I could not believe how quickly it was pushed here, and this will be the final question. Uh, Jesse Jackson, L. Sharpton, you know, found out that these guys are assets. Now, the final question is FBI, CIA, there's this whole thing that now the CIA's infiltrating the FBI. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I know it for a fact. You know, I mean, that's. The, the only way that you, the CIA, can send classified CIA information to the FBI, which is not cleared to see it because it's a higher classification, is if it's actually a CIA officer in the FBI who's reading it. And the CIA never—it's part of their CIA officers in the Justice Department. There's CIA officers in the Treasury Department. They're sprinkled through every branch of the government through every industry that's what they do that's and, and they it's do. been it's been going on since the inception of the organization because you can't communicate with these other with these branches of the government and tell them anything that's going on because they're not cleared to hear it so you got to have your people there at the highest levels
1: CI, dude, It's a CIA world. We're just living in a drug in it. world. It's a drug world. It is a drug world. That's it's yeah. so crazy that they 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 get they ship the drugs in. They pass the law outlawing it. They uh, arrest they, people. They arrest people and they own the prisons in which you do. They just are taking bucks the whole way.
0: Damn. Right. And you don't have to have. A lot of employees, you just have to have the guy at the top.
1: Yeah. That's what they do with dictators. They take out the dictator, and then they just put their guy in. They keep everybody else there. So
0: anyway, can we call it a night?
1: Yeah, Douglas, we are calling it a night, buddy. I appreciate your kindness on coming out. Uh, I know you were sick earlier, so I'm glad you could make it on Thursday. Uh, It was a pleasure talking to you, and uh, hopefully down the line we could do it again. I love the V for Vendetta mask in the back. That's how I know you're a G, my friend. And uh, I appreciate you and everything you do. Uh, Be safe. Uh, Mr. Valentine, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Take care. We appreciate your time.
0: Thank you.
1: Take care my friend. Guys, thank you so much. I want to thank uh Icon for letting us use her studio and uh man, this has been fun. I appreciate everybody. Thank you XG. Fuck yeah. And uh we'll see you guys soon. Take care everybody. Thank you. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional
0: Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. You
1: just blew my mind. Are you ready to get
0: your mind blown?